0: One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light.
1: I'm going to begin by simply asking the question that functions as the title of this episode. What is the third eye, and did Jesus believe in it? I also need to ask... Did he teach it to his disciples? Now, most yoga practitioners believe in seven invisible energy centers in the body that they call chakras. Interestingly, a little note here at the beginning, the guru I studied under in 1969 and 1970 taught that the chakras were just imaginary and nothing else. Apparently, he considered them just an aid to meditation, but actually non-existent. Of course, many proponents of this concept consider them to be real. These chakras begin at the base of the spine and are positioned at various points up the spine to the top of the head. Those who believe in chakras usually assert that the sixth energy center is in the middle of the forehead and is called the third eye. In belief systems embracing this idea, the third eye is supposedly one of the main exits out of the body into the astral realm. And the astral realm is considered to be a spiritual dimension just above this plane. Hindu women and girls are often adorned with something called a bindi on their foreheads in the general area thought to be the location of the third eye. Married women wear a red dot, and if widows have a bindi, it's a black dot. Young unmarried girls wear different colors. This cosmetic emblem has symbolic value on a higher level also. It represents a desire on their part to walk continuously in an enlightened state of mind. Now in Hinduism, the third eye is called Ajna or Agya, and it represents part of the brain which can be more effective and more powerful through meditation, yoga, or other spiritual practices. In Hindu tradition, it signifies the subconscious mind, and it provides a direct link to the higher self, which is said to be one with Brahman. And Brahman is the impersonal cosmic level of consciousness, the universal mind, the force that is considered to be ultimate reality. The two eyes in our physical body enable human beings to see into the physical world. But those who believe in chakras teach that the third eye enables enlightened human beings to see into the spiritual world, to be sensitive to clairvoyant gifts and to possess insightful knowledge about both the past and the future. An activated third eye is therefore the sign of an awakened person. Now, let me take you into some of the even deeper details of the Hindu belief. In that worldview, the third eye, or the Ajna, is depicted as a transparent lotus flower with two white petals which represent the nadis or the psychic channels in the body. And these blend together in the middle called the Shishumna nadi before rising to the top of the head of the crown chakra. And the left petal, of the third eye represents Shiva, which is the god of destruction in Hinduism. And the right petal represents Shakti, who is the female goddess who is his cohort. And these merge in the middle in some systems of thought. They're even represented as a hermaphrodite deity that is both male and female. In other words, When enlightenment is achieved, duality, represented by the god and the goddess, Shiva and Shakti, duality ceases and oneness with the universal consciousness is achieved. Those are very strange ideas, aren't they? Yes, I agree. Now, at one time I embraced them when I was a yoga teacher five decades ago. But now I see the fallacy of these beliefs. Yet billions of Hindus and New Agers subscribe to them. And many propose that these concepts are also hidden in the teachings of Jesus. And that's what I wanted to get to on this episode. When I was a yoga teacher, I often reference the following statement made by Jesus during his Sermon on the Mount, and I used it to support this blending of worldviews to try and make the Bible parallel, compatible with, and supportive of these Hindu teachings. The King James Version of Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23 records the Son of God saying these words. Now listen closely. Jesus said, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Wow, that sounds like a confirmation, doesn't it? If I was a new ager, I would certainly gravitate toward that verse and use it to support my worldview. And I would come to the conclusion quickly that maybe Jesus was an initiate into the mystery religions. Maybe he was an avatar who came to show us how to awaken our own divinity, and he taught these mystical ideas to his disciples little by little so they finally get it. No, absolutely not. I repeat, absolutely not. Jesus was not talking about the third eye when he said, the light of the body is the eye, if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Now, even though it sounds like that could be stretched to mean the third eye, when you subject this passage to proper methods of interpretation, this one isolated verse is not sufficient evidence that Jesus believed in chakras, or specifically that he believed in the third eye. First, we must look at this passage within its surrounding text, which is something called contextual interpretation. This is necessary for proper exegesis, which is the right method of interpreting a biblical passage. Listen to what Jesus says immediately before this statement. He declared to his disciples, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then he says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, immediately following that statement, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is a word for material possessions. Therefore, Jesus said, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? When you put all of those verses together, it's very easy to see that Jesus was talking about the way we perceive what is important in life, the way we see the most important things to live for, how we set our priorities. The two verses about the I being single are sandwiched between passages dealing with materialism versus spirituality. Jesus started by saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. And he concluded by saying, you cannot serve God and mammon, which is a word that means material riches. In light of this, the correct interpretation is plain and simple. Jesus was encouraging his disciples to stay focused, to have a single focus on what is spiritual and eternal. And if they were focused on earthly things, they would be full of darkness. If they were focused on heavenly things, they would be full of light. Because we all have to function in a natural and a temporal world, but we have to stay focused on that which is spiritual and eternal. Let me sum up in one statement what the Son of God was revealing, that no one can be a slave to material possessions and enjoy spiritual life in its abundance, the kind of abundant life that Jesus came to give. Now, it really helps to go to other translations of the same passage. The New King James Version translation of Matthew chapter six, verses 22 and 23, changes the archaic English of the King James Version and says it this way if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Other Bible versions use other words like sound, healthy, clear, or unclouded for the word single in the King James version. So the exact meaning becomes even more obvious when you pull all of these newer renditions together. Combining them all into one statement, let me say it this way. If you look at life with a good attitude, if your values are sound and healthy and your perceptions are clear and unclouded, the light of truth radiates in you and through you. And you become a person who is focused on heavenly things, not earthly things. And when that happens, your body becomes a lamp-like vessel through which the light of the word and the light of the Holy Spirit can shine, illuminating a very dark world around you. Let's continue developing this thought. How Jesus said, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The word translated light there is luknos, and it can also be translated lamp. In other words, your body becomes like a lamp. This is a source of light that must be lit. And there are five parts to a lamp, the vessel, the oil, the wick, the fire, and the light. We are all called to be vessels according to Romans nine twenty three. And if a lamp is a vessel containing oil, then we're all vessels called to be filled with the oil of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And of course, in order for that to function correctly, the wick must be set on fire so that the light can emanate from a lamp. What is that all talking about? Well, we know that churches as a whole are represented as lamps in Revelation chapter one, and individuals are represented as lamps too in the Bible, individuals who are in a relationship with God. For instance, Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, "...the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart." Now that could be talking about God's heart or that could be talking about our own hearts. So our spirit, once it's lit with the fire of God, searches out the inner depths of God's heart and the inner depths of our own hearts. But a lamp sits in darkness if the wick has not yet been lit. So the hearts of fallen human beings must be lit with the fire of the personal presence of God that comes into us when we invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into our hearts. And the word of God is represented in scripture as fire. The spirit of God is represented in scripture as fire. And when the word and the spirit together, like fire, ignite our hearts, we become powerful in the hands of God to change the world around us. Just like a person would lift up a lamp on a dark path, like David said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So God takes us in his hand and lifts us up like a lamp to guide others out of this dark world. Well, Jesus said in Luke 12, 49, that he came to send fire on the earth. And he does that one heart at a time. In other words, he comes to set hearts on fire with intense love for God and burning passion to both discover his truth and to proclaim it to others. In other words, we're called to shine like lamps in this dark and dreadful world. In Mark chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus warned against putting a lamp under a basket, which represents commerce or business, And he warned against putting a lamp under a bed, which represents laziness or complacency. Both of those situations can result in something very destructive, the basket of the bed being set on fire. In the Sermon on the Mount that contains our original passage about, let thine eye be single, Jesus revealed to his disciples their importance by using the imagery I'm talking about. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Yes, in utter simplicity, this is what Jesus was talking about. And let me reemphasize, he was communicating that we must focus on eternal things and shine the light of eternal truths in this world. It was never about some weird mystical initiation into higher mysteries of the universe or some occult phenomenon where an internal energy center is awakened and you begin to have psychic abilities. If Jesus was actually attempting to enlighten his disciples concerning these things, he surely would not have been so vague and he would have developed this concept to a much greater degree than just one individual verse out of the entire New Testament. No, Jesus was not talking about the third eye. He did not believe in the third eye and you and I should not believe in the third eye. This is what Jesus was referring to when he said, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? See, there was a certain point where I thought I was quote unquote enlightened about these things. When as a yoga teacher in 1970, I embraced the idea of chakras. I embraced the idea of the third eye. Yet, as Jesus said, the light that was in me was actually darkness the darkness of religious deception, because I believed in things that actually do not exist. So let your eye be single, be focused on the name of Jesus as the means of your salvation, the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross as the means of your sin being washed away, and the experience of being born again as the way you come into union with God. It doesn't come by focusing on the center of your forehead. It comes by focusing on the gospel of salvation, believing what Jesus said, and making him Lord of your life.